Check one, two. This is Seth Kybel. I'm living the jazz life. I'm Seth Kybel, and I'm living the jazz life because jazz lets me be a unique individual in a day and age when it's getting increasingly hard to do that. Awesome. You want to do another one? Or? Sure. My name is Seth Kybel, and I'm living the jazz life because I love to express myself, my feelings, and my thoughts with my music as my voice. Welcome to another edition of Jazz 101. I am your host, Tom Gowker, and tonight it's all about the clarinet. Our special guest tonight is Seth Kybel. Seth is one of the mid-Atlantic premier woodwind specialists working with some of the best bands in jazz, swing, and more. Wowing audiences on saxophone, clarinet, and the flute, Seth has made a name for himself in the Washington, Baltimore region and beyond. He is featured performing with the Alexandria Kletztet. Yep, that's it. Yeah, awesome. Bay Jazz Project, Music Pilgrim Trio, and the Natty Bows, and more. Winner of 28 Washington Area Music Awards, they're called Whammies, including the Best World Music Instrumentalist. His most recent recording is, is called No Words, Instrumental Jazz and Klezmer by Seth Kybel. It was released in 2015, and it's on the, as, as what is that, City Ray? Uh, Azalea City Rec- Recordings <laughs> label. Thank you, Azalea. I am reading that. Uh, tonight, we will be talking to Seth about the clarinet and the era where the clarinet ruled the charts. Welcome, Seth, to Jazz 101. How are you? Oh, thanks for having me, Tom. I appreciate it. Yeah, we've talked about, I guess, two years now about maybe uh, talking about uh, the clarinet or, or uh, what you do. You, you brought in some artists for us to talk mm-hmm. about, and I know that we have Sidney Bechet lined up first. Could you tell us a little about him and why he's such a guide? Well, Sidney Bechet is really the uh, the grandfather of the entire jazz clarinet tradition. You know, uh, let me backtrack. Quick story. So uh, I, you know, played clarinet in school bands and whatnot growing up. And around the time I was in eighth grade or so, I started to get interested in jazz. So I went to my middle school band director, a very well-meaning uh, individual, and I told him, I said, hey, I'm interested in doing some jazz. And he said, that's great, but if you're going to play jazz you're going to have to learn the saxophone because you can't play jazz on the clarinet. Now, of course, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, I'm kind of glad he said that because it forced me to learn the saxophone, which is an important part of my musical arsenal. Uh, But, of course, that's a completely ridiculous statement. I agree. Because once upon a time, uh, the clarinet was one of the primary voices in jazz. When you talk about uh, New Orleans trad jazz in the early decades of the 20th century, when you talk about jazz in Chicago in the 1920s, when you talk about the swing era in New York in the 30s and 40s, the clarinet is right there front and center. And yes, it all begins with Sidney Bechet, the great Creole clarinetist from New Orleans. My knowledge about Sidney Bechet is Van Morrison screaming about him all through <laughs> his, his, you know, I'm a Van Morrison yeah, fan. And sure. then he, says, he keeps on saying, talks about Sidney Bechet. And so I had to listen to him to find out what's going on. See me through Desert Winey Roses By and by when the morning comes Jazz and blues and folk Poetry and jazz Voice and music, 
music and no music, silence and then voice, music and writing, words, memories, memories way back, take me way back, Hindford Street and Hank Williams, Louis Armstrong, Sydney Pesce on Sunday afternoons in winter, Sydney Pesce, Sunday afternoons in winter in the tuning in of stations in Europe on the wireless. Before, yes, before this was the way it was. More silence, more breathing together, not rushing, being. Before rock and roll, before television, previous, 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 see me through, just a closer walk with thee. He's more on the lines of a early pioneer of jazz, period. Would yes, I say he is. that? Yes, and and his his stuff is still considered technical or innovative and creative at this time. Yeah, well, actually, the recording I've picked uh, for you to listen to is really a fascinating recording. In fact, if we were talking about the history of recording technology, uh, we'd talk about this recording. It's a recording from 1941, April 18th, 1941. Now, I mentioned the date because this recording is, to the best of our knowledge, the very first use of overdubbing or multi-tracking. Oh, okay. Prior right. to this recording, everyone had to be playing live in the same room. This is a recording of the old standard Sheik of Araby, but it's credited to Sidney Bechet's one-man band. All right, we got to listen to it. We got it lined up and ready to go. <laughs> timepiece that, that that was like the time period that a clarinet was like the lead 
because it lost favor through the years. It so, did. It did. Yeah. Now, let me just point out that what you just heard was not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, but six Sidney Bechets. He was playing every instrument. He was playing clarinet, soprano saxophone, tenor saxophone, uh, piano, double bass, and drums. Wow. He's it's the, just a, the a first incredible prince. talent. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> first prince. I like that. Yeah, how yeah. about that? Uh, his life ended short, right? You know, uh, he was, what, I think fi in his 50s when he passed away, so longer than others. I mean, he, and he's actually one of the few sort of happy endings in jazz, uh, because he lived long enough to capitalize on the Dixieland revival of the 40s and 50s. Uh, Eddie Condon put him on in concerts at Town Hall in Manhattan. He ended up spending the last, last 10 years of his life in uh, Europe, mostly in France, where he died a wealthy celebrity uh, in a chateau in France. Yeah. Um, you know, us jazz historians, we hate it when people live to a ripe old age and die happy and wealthy. Yeah, we much the, prefer the jazz tragedy, and he's not a good example of that. No, no, that's a, that's a total success. So I would say he would be, you know, the, the first person out there that, that, was, uh, that, that set a trend. And I, before we had the, this conversation, I'm thinking that would you say that the clarinet died out because the trumpet took over, or would you say that the saxophone took over in popular music? You know, it's more, more the saxophone. Uh, in the late 30s, 40s, the saxophone definitely transforms from being more of a novelty instrument into one of the primary voices of American jazz uh, through the popularity and success of people like Coleman Hawkins with his huge hit, Body and Soul, in 1939. A an incredible recording, uh, but certainly a tragic recording for clarinetists, yeah. in that the clarinet starts to become a little bit more of a passe sound. And when you get to the bebop era, uh, the clarinet definitely fell out of favor. Now, you have a few who, who, who play it during the bebop era, people like Buddy DeFranco and Tony Scott and others. Uh, but there's no question that clarinet never really becomes a primary voice in this music uh, after the swing era. Yeah, I also have a thought of um, masculine feminine. And uh, not that to say that. that I, I see where you're yeah, going. Yeah, that the, the clarinet would seem to have a more sweeter sound mm -hmm. and is not as... Um, as sexy, you can't swing that thing around in the band. As, well, as I you, like to. As you can, well, <laughs> as you can in, in, with a saxophone or whatever to really kind of you know draw attention to yourself. But yeah. so I mean, I look at it as um, as time passed, it becomes like a, just a sweeter sound than more of a sexual overtone with a sax or with a trumpet. And this is just kind of a theory of mine. Yeah, that's an interesting interesting thought. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's nothing wrong with it coming back because it. Uh, it, there's something about, to me, a clarinet and uh, that you that really stands out in a lead. Uh, we have I, what I consider the master coming up next. Would you say that? Uh, yeah. Oh, if we're talking about Benny Goodman, definitely. And you know, you can draw a direct line uh, from Sidney Bechet to Benny Goodman. Indeed, uh, Sidney Bechet spent much of the 1920s in Chicago. And Benny, as a teenager, was part of a group that uh, jazz historians call the Austin High Gang, because most of them went to the same high school. And they'd bribe the doorman at these clubs to let them stand in the back and listen to people like Sidney Bechet, 
King Oliver, uh, his young protege, Louis Armstrong, Jelly Roll Morton, play night after night after night in these clubs in the south side of Chicago. And there's no question that Sidney Bechet is a huge, probably the single greatest influence on the sound of Benny Goodman. And it's not uh, hard to hear when you listen to Benny Goodman. I think that people don't realize that Benny Goodman is huge. Like, during mm-hmm. that time period, he would be considered uh, Drake. Oh, uh, he, yeah. he was, at the age of 26, he was the biggest star in the country. I mean, he's the one who really, he, he wasn't the first to play the style of big band jazz, not by a long shot, and his sound was basically uh, a copy of the Fletcher Henderson model down to the very arrangements the musicians were playing from. Nonetheless, his big band is the first to top the pop charts. He's the guy who transforms jazz and swing from a niche musical genre into American popular music that it's fair to say almost everyone in this country was listening to. Yeah, I agree. So what we got? What, what do you have lined okay, up Okay, so this is, this is just a favorite Benny Goodman recording of mine. It's uh, by my favorite configuration of his, the classic lineup of the Benny Goodman Quartet. It's Benny on clarinet, Teddy Wilson on piano, Lionel Hampton on vibraphone, Gene Krupa on drums. Uh, integrated, multicultural, multi-ethnic quartet. I mean, if I had to be trapped on a desert island with one band, uh, I'd want it to be the band that could build a boat. But barring that, this is the group I would want. And this is a very special recording. This is an arrangement they recorded of George Gershwin's The Man I Love. And they recorded it about a week after George Gershwin unexpectedly died. And with that in mind, uh, it gives the title and the song a, a whole different meaning. Uh, this, to me, is a goose pimple recording. I can't listen to this thinking about the, the passing of George Gershwin and, and not get a little bit of a, you know, a speck of dust in my eye. Well, and it's a super group. I oh, mean, it is. It's one of the first super groups of all time. So let's, let's listen to it and let's see what we got. Thank you. 
that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, I mean, part of the one of the many strengths of Benny Goodman is the fact that he always surrounded himself with the best talent, second to none. I mean, he had the best sidemen, the best arrangers, the best composers. And when you have a band like, you know, Gene Krupa, Lionel Hampton, and Teddy Wilson uh, backing you up, you gotta sound good. And uh, man, Lionel Hampton sounds fantastic on that. And if you caught, he does a little bit of a Rhapsody in Blue quote in the middle of his solo. Yeah. And uh, you can kinda tell they're all thinking about the tragic loss of George Gershwin just days earlier. You know, uh, that made me think of Rhapsody in Blue uh, big time. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure. You know, if we, if we can, I'd love to highlight some of the lesser known uh, clarinet stars of this era. Um, now, there is a, I, I will say there is a famous quote by Pee Wee Russell, one of my favorite clarinetists, where he said, there's plenty of money to be made playing jazz clarinet. Problem is, Benny Goodman has already made all of it. Mm -hmm. uh, but another one of the great unsung heroes of the clarinet is Buster Bailey, an incredible uh, clarinetist. He was an African-American clarinetist. Uh, he actually studied with the same classical teacher in Chicago that Betty Goodman did. And he went on to play with Fletcher Henderson, uh, John Kirby's group, uh, the John Kirby Sextet. And then he was in Louis Armstrong's All-Stars for many years. And he was just an astonishingly good clarinetist. And I've picked my favorite track by him. It's a tune that he wrote, appropriately enough entitled, Man with a Horn Goes Berserk. You know, I sometimes like to play this for my students on the first day, and I, I jokingly tell them that I want them to transcribe it and play it for me the next week. Sometimes they think I'm serious. Let's give it a shot. Thank you. 
to take a short break here. You're listening to Jazz 101 with your host, Tom Gowker. And tonight we're speaking to guest Seth Keibel. We'll be taking a short break from the action. When we come back, it's all about the clarinet. Something came from Baltimore, Baltimore, Baltimore. Something came from Baltimore, Baltimore, Baltimore. You're listening to Jazz 101 with your host, Tom Gowker, and tonight our special guest is Seth Keibel. We'll be taking a short break from the action. When we come back, it's all about the clarinet. Welcome back to Jazz 101. Tonight our guest is Seth Keibel, and we're talking about and we're listening to songs that feature the clarinet. It's clarinet jazz tonight. Uh, we, We went through a couple of the artists so far. And uh, you have something lined up from Duke Ellington coming up. Well, yeah. I mean, Duke Ellington had some uh, wonderful clarinetist work with him, two in particular. Uh, for the first few decades of Duke's career, it was Barney Begard, a great New Orleans clarinetist, very much in the Sidney Bechet style. But then from 1943 to 1968, it was Jimmy Hamilton, also a phenomenal clarinetist, one of my favorites, but very different than Barney Begard. Jimmy Hamilton was really... Uh, a classical clarinetist. I mean, you know, jazz history is full of incredible black musicians who might have gone into classical music had it been a realistic career option for them. Sure. Uh, And Jimmy Hamilton is a great example of that. Uh, So Duke Ellington, of course, was a master of capitalizing on the talents in his band. Uh, So he had this clarinetist with incredible classical chops and he featured it wonderfully. So uh, the, the tune I've selected is a tune that was recorded by Duke Ellington. This is actually a live recording in 1947 called Air Conditioned Jungle. And it's basically a, a mini clarinet concerto designed to feature uh, Jimmy Hamilton's incredible clarinet playing. What was that time for, for Duke? That was priest for hand. Uh, Strayhorn was with him uh, around this time, although this particular song was uh, jointly written by Duke and Jimmy Hamilton. And uh, it's just another great example of how Duke Ellington was able to capitalize and showcase the talents in his band. I mean, what other band leader would have been able to capitalize on the classical virtuosity? Thank you. Another one of our... Oh, here we go. Clarinetist Jimmy Hamilton. Thank you. 
You know, just by being a fan of music, sometimes I always like, wow, I wish I was in the audience for something like amazing like that, you know? Oh, I've got a long time machine list of places and things I want to go hear and see uh, when I get a time machine. I mean, top on the list is going back in time 15 years buying stock in Google. Mm. But after that, there are so many different concerts and gigs I'd like to be a fly on the wall for. So Definitely. I, I agree with you on that. Do you feel that he wrote any of that or that, that piece or he's like, this is what we're going to do and just let it fly? Well, this one was, was supposedly a collaborative piece between Jimmy Hamilton and Duke Ellington. But it's a great example of how Duke's music was often, as he liked to himself describe it, beyond category. You know, his repertoire is often classified as quote unquote jazz because he is a jazz composer and a jazz musician and a jazz band played it. Uh, but. Duke Ellington's oeuvre, I mean, really transcends 
uh, a whole slew of musical categories. And, and that piece is a great miniature example of that. I mean, there's a lot of classical influence in that, in addition to a lot of modern influence. Duke Ellington was someone who uh, listened to the French Impressionist composers a great deal, people like Debussy, Ravel, Sasson, and, and I think that comes through in a piece like Air Conditioned Jungle. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I was saying uh, it sounds like the the uh, brown, black brown, beige period where he's really stretching his palette and he's kind of doing some jazz. He's doing uh, doing a lot of like classical longer pieces, yep. extended works, uh, yeah. definitely. And uh, he's taking you know a casual listener into a, a journey, um, and uh, he's just not really totally focusing on on like say top 40 hits but uh he's taking his his audience into a really kind of a uh, a dream cycle you know that to me that was a, a really a, a, a nice piece look there's a, there's a reason why many people including including myself might describe duke ellington as one of if not the greatest american composer of all time and i'm not talking just in the jazz milieu mm-hmm. uh, i'm saying in any category of music beyond categories he would say I used to also say, uh, well, there are lots of variations of it, but something to the effect of there are only two kinds of music, good music and the other kind. Yeah, I agree. You know the clarinet is is kept alive to me by Woody Allen films, and we were we, we were talking about it. And one thing that uh, you either love or hate Woody Allen, but uh, one thing that he does that's great is he dusts off some really um, some 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 premiere tracks and cleans them up, and it's really just either I'm excited to to wait for those pieces in his movies, or the music just really complements those pieces. Or that I'm so excited to hear the music. It's because uh, normally I phase out this show and kind of focus on what he's uh, presenting. And I don't think he's doing soundtracks anymore like he did with Manhattan. Yeah. What a great way to kind of expose yourself. And obviously he's a clarinet player himself. Yep. And, uh, you know, he's uh, keeping that alive. But you're doing the same thing. When we started out, you were just, you're all over the place. You're a busy man. When I try to get a hold of you, you're just like, I'm swamped. I got two hours to do this. Let's <laughs> knock this out. So you are, um, you're all over the Baltimore, Washington area. Are you, the, the groups that I uh, mentioned before, are you, how many groups are you in now? Or? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, you know, us musicians, we're very, musically incestuous Mm -hmm. so we all work together in different combinations so i'm all over the place sometimes under my own name sometimes a side man but um you know you can go to uh, sethkibel.com s-e-t-h-k-i-b-e-l.com find out all about me 
You can Google me. You know, one of the nice things, and you probably know this, Tom, about having mm-hmm. a more unusual name is that it's easy to track me down. I mean, to the best of my knowledge, there are only two Seth Kybels in the world, and the other is like a 16-year-old kid who lives in Ottawa. Mm. So uh, he's probably getting all my gigs. It's the same with Tom Gowker. Uh, there is one person in this world named Tom Gowker also, which was in my yeah. dad. Then that, that's there it. You yeah, so there the you junior. go. Um, yeah, he's you're easy to find too. I know that there's uh, I, I I follow you on Facebook. Um, you are uh, really active in posting uh, and also promoting, you know, the the area's music. Yeah, you yeah. know, I, I do have to give props. I mean, uh, look, the the clarinet is definitely coming back to a certain extent. There are a lot of great jazz clarinetists out there today. People like Don Byron, Victor Goins, Ken Poplowski, and Nat Cohen. But I also want to mention that there are quite a few great clarinetists in our area mm-hmm. who are helping uh, kind of uh, preach the gospel of this instrument. I mean, in Baltimore, we got Todd Marcus, who makes the bass clarinet his specialty, but he plays B-flat as well. Um, you, you have Ben Redwine, although I think he's splitting his time with New Orleans now. Hallie Schoenberg, uh, Jim Martino, Bob Jacobson. I mean, all these great uh, clarinetists in the area. And it's kind of exciting uh, for me to see uh, people recognize the clarinet as a legitimate uh, mm. jazz instrument once more. Yeah, I think that there's there's groups that, like Pink uh, Martini. Oh, yeah. Yeah, who are uh, celebrate a time period. Um, make it very modern and current, and the clarinet is is forefront in that point. Uh, so there are um, there are modern um, avenues, and uh, it's not a dying instrument at all. In fact, I, I feel like it's, it's a resurgence coming up pretty soon. But I want to play one of your songs that you oh, brought wow. with us. We want to get right into it. Um, out of the ones that that you brought, that have you as the the um, the lead, which is the, the one that we're going to play? I think we'll go for GC Swing. Okay. This is an original tune from my uh, most recent album, No Words, and it features myself on clarinet. We've got Sean Lane on piano, uh, Bob Abbott on double bass, and Wes Crawford on drums. All right, let's give this a shot.
the Jazz 101. We are talking to our guest, Seth Keibel. Uh, we are just digging into his new album called No Words. Uh, we were going through the, the catalog of artists that uh, have shaped the clarinet through jazz world. And now it's time to play some of your stuff. So I'm excited about it. Awesome. We got Yeah. The, uh, the, the uh, next one that you have, what is it called? Uh, this is called Sethology. I know it sounds like an egotistical title, but my son came up with the title. Uh, and this is more of a gypsy jazzish sort of tune that I wrote. And this features a, a somewhat different cast of characters. We've got two gypsy jazz guitarists on this, Sammy Arafin, who's a great Baltimore uh, cat who plays in Ultra Foe and the Hot Club of Baltimore. Uh, Kevin Duran, who's a DC player. On bass, double bass is Scott Jambuso, and on drums is Mark Carson. That is awesome. Uh, w- would you say that there's a um, 
are you hitting like a time period? Like that seems like a reminiscent of another. You know, that definitely was a, a more gypsy jazz influenced track. You know, people like Django Reinhardt, Stefan Grappelli, what have you, uh, which is certainly a, a type of instrument, uh, type of uh, subgenre of jazz in which the clarinet uh, plays an important role. Um, but you know, like like all jazz musicians, I, I kind of. Uh, encompass, uh, hopefully draw upon a myriad of styles and subgenres and what have you, although I'd be lying if I didn't uh, admit that I gravitate towards some of the earlier stuff, swing era and even before. I mean, for, for me, it doesn't get any better than Louis Armstrong. No, I agree. Um, you know, I'm excited about your music. I, I think it's awesome. I think I think a lot of people... Um, should uh, should catch you out in concert and Thank definitely you. enjoy it. it. Uh, we're gonna take a quick pause. Just a, uh, I'm gonna pause right now because I want to uh, uh, put up another song of yours uh, on the CD player. So we're not talking. We're <laughs> Let me get it. Uh, I got it ready to go. Okay. Uh, Seth, I'm feeling greedy about your music. You only brought me two songs for to play, <laughs> which uh, is a shame. So you gave me your CD, so we, we just kind of stopped the action just for a second. Uh, we edited it out, so you don't know the difference. Um, but I was like, let's play one more song for, for um, our audience. Sure. And you picked out New Waltz. Can you explain what's going on with that song? Okay, so this is the, the closing track on this album, No Words. And this is an original waltz I wrote that probably draws more upon the Jewish klezmer tradition than jazz, although I think it's got a little bit of everything in there. And I have to, you know, do my shameless plug now. This song actually, much to my own surprise, uh, just received the grand prize in the Mid-Atlantic Song Contest, sponsored by the Songwriters Association of Washington. This is a big kind of a songwriting contest that uh, draws entries from all up and down the East Coast. And uh, I was shocked that this won the grand prize, because uh, first of all, it's very unusual for an instrumental uh, to take the top honors in this contest. Usually it's songs with lyrics. And not only does the song not have lyrics, but doesn't even have a good title. I mean, to be honest, New Waltz was kind of a placeholder title that I was using. Uh, and I always figured that when I came up with a better title, I'd, I'd, I'd use that, and I never did. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I was particularly pleased and surprised that this song won the contest, considering it not only has no lyrics, but has a rather unimaginative title. You didn't ask your son to pick out a title for you? No, I should have. <laughs> oh, and I should mention once again on this track, uh, you'll hear me on clarinet. Uh, the pianist is Sean Lane uh, on double bass, Bob Abbott. Uh, Wes Crawford is the drummer. All these cats are uh, local players who I work with all the time and uh, really great players. And they're the ones who make this music come to life.
Well, that was fantastic. Thank uh, you. I'm glad that you did win your award for that. Totally deserving. Uh, I'm really enjoying what you're playing with for us. I really appreciate you coming in. We, uh, you brought us a two more tracks that I think uh, people out there who's not a real fan of uh, the clarinet would definitely know these songs because they are old uh, pop songs. Um, one of them is a, a Beatles track. Oh, yes. This is a, a beautiful rendition of one of my favorite Beatles songs, I'll Follow the Sun, uh, by Don Byron. And another great, incredible clarinetist who's out there making great music today. Uh, you know, he's someone who, again, uh, draws upon a myriad of genres. Uh, like myself, he actually has been a klezmer player. Uh, but then, of course, he, he's dabbled in gospel, in hip-hop, in R&B, in, in all different genres. Uh, this is from an album he did a few years ago called Romance with the Unseen, and it features Bill Frizzell on guitar, who's also one of my favorite musicians.
Uh, we talked earlier about um, you being busy, and or you mentioned something about school. Are you a teacher, or? Well, I do. I do. I have a bunch of part-time teaching gigs. You know, I have uh, a nice roster of private students. And uh, then I also do uh, some lecturing about jazz history for a number of different senior education groups and the uh, what they call the Osher program, which is kind of adult education for Towson University and Johns Hopkins University. So all together, that keeps me keeps me off the streets and out of trouble. That's good. You know, uh, a lot of times um, it's really important to get out there and support the arts and to make sure that, that uh, you see a show once in a while. And now that you've listened to Seth's material, you'd realize what you're kind of getting. And I think sometimes some people are like, oh, I don't know if I want to go out because I don't know what I'm going to get. And um, But the now that you know, de- definitely check him out and realize that, um, you know, him performing um, pays the bills. Uh, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot of times when I look at artists, I'm wondering, you know, are they able to sustain a, um, a, a full-time career in this business because the business has changed? Um, it has, you know, when I went on your Facebook page, it said musician. So I'm assuming that you, you're you're working you're working the best you can to get yeah. to, to everything and you're able to sustain a career. Uh, what kind of struggles do you have to um to to um i guess manage your career well i mean i'm not going to complain because i'll be honest with you being a musician is the best job in the world and and i'd rather do it than, than than anything else uh you know and uh you know, uh, I, I sometimes uh, joke with musicians who complain sometimes about how hard it is that if it were easy, everyone would do it. That's correct. Because it's the best job in the world. So, mm. I mean, yeah, I have to hustle a lot. I keep pretty odd hours. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't trade places with, with any other job. Um, uh, you know, it's I can't imagine doing anything else. Playing music for people and, and reaching people and making them happy or making them forget whatever troubles are on their mind for that particular moment, man, that's just, that's just worth the world to me. Uh, do you come off uh, a, a nice set feeling kind of high, like an emotional high? or? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah so definitely. That definitely. I get a nice adrenaline rush when I play. I wiggle a lot on stage, so I think that also helps with the adrenaline rush. Uh, but, yeah, definitely, I, I, I get off on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, please check him out. Uh, uh, definitely see if you can uh, get on his Facebook page. Uh, definitely go on and um, see if you can get some of his recordings also. Thank you, Steph Keibel, for being our guest this evening. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, it was great having you, and we, we hope to have you back soon. Uh, your wealth of knowledge, and we'd really like to, to learn more about uh, uh, Klezmer and the history of jazz. So we'd like to have you come back. Uh, And thank you, the audience, for spending another hour with Jazz 101. Uh, If you like what you're hearing, please contact WEAA. And WEAA is your source for cool jazz and more. It's the voice of community. And let them know that you want to hear more of Jazz 101. I'm your host, Tom Gowker. Till next time, let's make jazz fun again. Something came from Baltimore tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Something came from Baltimore tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow.